Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Judy Robinett, who is the author of How to Be a Power Connector and How to Crack the Funding Code. She has been profiled in Inc. Magazine, Forbes, and Bloomberg Businessweek. She was a managing director of Golden Seeds Angel Network, and she served on the faculty of Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program. Thanks so much for joining us today, Judy. I'm delighted, Matt. I'm pleased to be here. I'm going to kick us off by discussing a profile of you, which called you a, quote, sterling example of the new breed of super connectors who use their experience and networks to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. I think we all inherently know that connecting and networking is vitally important, but what does it mean to be a super connector and and how did you develop this reputation? Oh, boy. Well, I think I developed the reputation just because I loved a challenging problem. And I realized that any almost anything that people needed is out there. You know, there's 7.4 billion people, um, 369 trillion of private wealth. So no lack of money, but it's, you know, attached to people. So are information, ideas and things. And I, I figured out how critical it was to have a network when when I worked for a Fortune 50 corporation and I'd been taught, keep your head down, work hard. Don't ask for help, people will notice. And I discovered people didn't notice. And and I could see there was this underlying uh, network in the corporation that was very different than the hierarchy and uh, uh, structure, and and I wasn't getting ahead. And so I made it a point to uh, develop a a network. Um, And after I, I left, which was finally a CEO of a publicly traded biotech company, um, I, I got very enthusiastic about working with uh, startups. I worked with Skull Candy and, and several others. Uh, and I found it was the same issue. It really is how do you find the resources? If there's no lack of resources out there, uh, where can we find the best people to go over, under, through a, a problem? And there's always an answer. Um, and, and I got a little brazen as I got older and braver because I was so shy and bullied as a kid. And I made it a point to be able to talk to anyone anywhere. And I found out quickly that if you add value to others, um, great things happen. You hit something there and you talked about the great deal of work you've done helping early stage companies scale. What do new companies typically struggle with? And, and how are those lessons from your years of experience? How can they help us all, no matter the size of company we work with? Yeah, so it is really, really critical to have a, a strategic network. You know, I, I once was at an event in New York City that I heard Charlie Rose interview Madeleine Albright saying, you know, why aren't women moving ahead, breaking the glass ceiling? And she said, you know, women don't network, they make friends. Uh, and so that's always an underlying, you know, problem there. But for startup companies, uh, usually the number one re- problem is finding funding. Um, and, and I actually traveled the world working with different, you know, ecosystems. Um, and, you know, people would say there's, you know, no funding. There always is funding. But many of, you know, the early stage VCs, uh, family offices in particular, and now sovereign wealth funds who are also directly investing into startups can be hard to access. And so that's why I did the, the second book. But the reality, Matt, is there's two reasons a startup fails. The first one is lack of a customer. The second one is lack of funding. 
One thing that you speak about frequently and, and it appears in some of your writing and the profiles of you is this concept of relationship capital. Can you share with our audience why that asset is so valuable, why it's often potentially underdeveloped and, and how someone who's maybe never thought in those terms before can start? Yeah, so it really is um, undeveloped. One of the biggest mistakes I see with people trying to understand how to network is they've not utilized the network they already have. And so, for instance, my uh, book agent called me one day and said, I think you need to meet with Mike Muni. He sold his last company for $45 million. He has an app having to do with um, networking you guys ought to meet. So Mike flew to Salt Lake from te Texas. And I said, you know, Mike, I've, I've never heard of this app. Uh, and he looked really sullen, very sad. And he said, you know, if I could just get an article in Success Magazine, uh, that's my ideal customer. And I looked at him and I said, smiled and I said, Mike, when you go back to Texas, I want you to call Wendy, who I've known for four months, who you've known for many, many years. One of her uh, friends is Mr. Hardy, who, you know, runs Success Magazine. And he almost fell off his chair. And so what I find is people don't share with others where they're at, you know, what, what the project is they're working on or what they need help with. And then I teach people what I call my two golden questions. Number one, ask them, what other ideas do you have for me? And number two, who else do you know I should talk to? And that is an easy ask, both of those things. And even in fundraising, you know, you will hear, don't ask for money, ask for advice and you'll get the, the money. So really and critically, also important is to have a diverse network. So for instance, I know people in the entertainment business. Um, uh, Jennifer Justice is a good friend of mine. She was Jay-Z's first attorney and helped grow that business to a billion. Uh, I know, you know, Mark Burnett, many, many people. And on the other side, I have deep connections with finance in, in the media and other areas. And so the second mistake people make is they're tunneled. Everybody is similar in their network. So I usually have people take a piece of paper and write down 25 um, people that they know and then write, you know, what, what industry are they in? And usually with accountants, you find they go to all the accounting conferences and all of their friends are accountants. The thing that has fascinated me the most about these conversations that I've been able to have is, in essence, advice for one's younger self. I'm guessing that maybe some of your advice would say you wish that you had this perspective on relationship capital and everything right from the get-go. Outside of the scope of things we've already talked about, is there something that you would tell your younger self that would have made this journey of success that you found yourself in a little bit easier or a piece of advice that you would give to yourself when you were starting out? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, one of, one of the first one uh, would be uh, to kind of kick fear to the curb. Uh, you know, I was fearful. People didn't like me. You know, why would they want to talk to me? Uh, and it turns out research shows that 50% of us think we're shy and the real number is 12. <laughs> and, and if I would have talked to three or four of my friends and asked them, what are the best things you see about me? I would have been startled to find out that no one thought I was shy except me. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, get out of your comfort zone, kick fear to the, the curb um, is, is a, a great one that I wish I would have understood better. 
And so, for instance, when I was in the corporate world, I, I finally figured out by accident um, that if I went to training that was uh, across the board through, you know, the, the P&L cells, different areas of the company that would allow me to network internally. And that proved to be pivotal for me to get a couple of promotions. And so, you know, make, make sure wherever you are at, at work, uh, that again, you know, people that are outside your, your immediate focus. The other thing is go to conferences and make it a point to talk to the speakers, reach out to them on LinkedIn beforehand or, you know, Twitter um, and, you know, read books, keep reading. You know, that's really critical too. To go back to some of the work that you've done with early stage companies, what are you most intrigued by when you meet a new leader that you potentially have the opportunity to work with? Are there a few characteristics that through your time working with different companies in different industries, you key in on a certain attribute as being really vital to later success? Yes. And, you know, having worked with uh, entrepreneurs and founders for about 20 years now, uh, and, and this actually also shows up in research. It's, it's really fascinating to me. I, I learned to fly helicopters and I find out the majority of other entrepreneurs out there, uh, CEOs of companies often fly planes. They tend to be risk takers. They also tend to be very comfortable with chaos. And, and for years, I used to say, I love chaos because when things are in chaos, you can create anything you want. Um, I'm always in awe of the brilliance of, of the founder and the vision uh, and often the tenacity and the, the grit. And, and it turns out you don't have to have the Harvard degrees. Persistence wins at the end of the day. One of uh, the things that I read about you was that your book, How to Be a Power Connector, was actually selected by Inc. Magazine as one of their best business books of the year. We've talked a little bit about the concept of being a power connector. Can you talk a little bit about the framework of bringing that book to life? What was your process like? What did your daily routine look like? How did that actually come to fruition? Yeah, so I was going to write, my first book was going to be How to Get Funded. And I put together a list of 50 people I would interview, Reuben Abraham, who I'd met in India, who raised all of George Soros funds and, you know, a slew of other people. My agent called me and she said, Judy, you live in Idaho. Um, how do you know these people? You must have gone to Stanford or Harvard. And I said, nope, Utah State. And she said, how do you know these people? And so I started describing it for her. And she said, wait, wait, you know, we got to do a book on networking. And I said, not me. I think networking sucks. It's icky. It's manipulative. And she said, well, well, we'll change the title. And on a Friday, she said, you know, the proposal's ready to go, get ready to get on a plane to New York and we'll go meet with the top publishers. And, and by Monday, we had offers from the top publishers and I didn't even have to go. Um, I had planned on writing the book, but my agent assured me that I wasn't a professional writer and that uh, it would be better if, if I hired uh, an individual who did this as a living, which first made me feel bad, uh, but I worked very closely with her. I would, you know, jot down outlines and notes and, and examples. Uh, and I'll, I'll just share a, a quick one. Um, I had met Joseph Cohen, who is one of the top diamond dealers in, in uh, New York City. And he called me one day and he said, I really need help getting into China. Well, this man sells jewelry to Oprah. Bogle flew in with his Learjet twice a year so his wife could buy something. 
So his, you know, network was kind of a who's who. And my uh, writer called me on the phone and she said, you know, what I don't understand is why he called you. And it really made me think. And I said, um, he called me because I can help him and I will help him. So, you know, this is another important thing of the people that you keep close at hand. And you only need 25 to 50 of those individuals, again, that are dispersed through different industries that can help you. And make sure that, A, they're kind. You don't want bad actors, Machiavellian, sociopath, uh, narcissistic individuals that will hurt you. Uh, that's the first thing we all look for when we meet a stranger. Number two, you want a level of competency, which takes a little longer. But I add third, generosity, because you want people who will have your back. And when I was younger, I used to say I'd only let people in my network who had a good head, a good heart, and a good gut. And I finally said, is this person a Martha Stewart or an Oprah? And they're both billionaires. They're really good at what they do. But for my values, I, I go with Oprah. How has your approach changed given the issues brought about by the global health issues that have forced people to be less in person and more virtual? How has your personal approach changed to continuing to cultivate your network? Uh, not at all. Um, I guess it could be said a bit because I will, for instance, be in places like the Waldorf Astoria that I go listen to the clock chimes in Manhattan uh, and talk to strangers who then become friends. Uh, but the majority of what I did before was, you know, I, I, I'm a voracious reader. If I found a, a good book that had some terrific insights, I'd reach out to the author. And of course, most, most authors are happy to get back to you. Um, I also heavily used LinkedIn. And now with the Zoom, it actually is much easier because people who were used to, you know, having to sit down and meet face to face have figured out they can do it with technology and are more accepting of it. And you see this with the VCs who are now doing due diligence on Zoom and offline. Uh, and, and so it, it has rapidly accelerated the, the process of building strong relationships. As a final question, before we shift to the final two questions, when you're thinking about interacting with that individual that you've never met before in New York City and you walk up to them, what's going through your head? And maybe if you can play it out, what are some of the things that you might say to kick off that conversation knowing nothing about the other individual? Um, well, usually I, if I'm going to meet somebody, I make sure I do know something about them. You know, I go find their LinkedIn profile, read what I can, just like you did, did on me. Uh, but if it's a, a stranger, you know, I'm, I often will just ask a, a question, uh, or, you know, just start a, a simple conversation. Like, you know, the lady that was at the, the Waldorf, I commented that I was from Idaho. I love to come visit you know, was she local? Well, she was. And, you know, now she works for the State Department, I, I think, in the Middle East, and just recently reached out to me. So it turns out that people love to talk. And if you learn to just break the ice with a simple, how are you, say something about yourself, uh, then it's like pulling the cork on, on the bottle, often with, with other people. And, you know, if they're not interested in, in talking with you, then you just say next. You don't, you know, worry. There's 7.4 billion people on, on the planet. You can always find people. And most people honestly will help you if you learn to ask. 
Well, Judy, I have really uh, enjoyed this conversation and that's a wonderful spot to shift to our final two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And question number one is this, if you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? Wisdom. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So I once gave a speech at MIT and somebody handed me a Wall Street Journal and it had an article on how to become financially independent in America. And it said, there's five ways, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, inherit it or marry it. And I knew those were out. And the last one was start a business. And I went, start a business, how hard can it be? And I got a $1.3 million SBA loan and dumb me did a franchise restaurant. And I thought I was going bankrupt. I went to an attorney, he looked at my financials and he said, you're not even close. And I said, but I'm broke. And he said to me, Judy, they can break you, but they can't eat you. And it was the best advice I ever had. It helped me, you know, get the hair up the back of my neck, put some steel down my spine. I turned that around, sold that company. So I tell people, kick fear to the curb. You have got to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, you know, you have to get the ticket punch to play the game. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? You know, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or my email is judy at judyrobinette.com. No E on the end. And, you know, I'm uh, happy to help. Well, thank you again for all the wonderful insight. And thanks to all our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization at ability.com. Be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead Podcast. Thank you.